the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob Fratz. Well, history has been made. Not the kind of history you want to be associated with making, but it has been made. Never before has a sitting Speaker of the House of Representatives and the United States Congress been ousted from that position in the middle of a Congress. It has never happened before. So congratulations to the eight new Democrats who uh, who have joined the other party. That's the way we begin on this Wednesday. It's the ninth morning of the ninth, or excuse me, it is nine minutes after nine o'clock on the fourth morning of the tenth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. A little bit thrown there by the history, I guess. Yeah, there are, uh, it's a hell of a thing. Two different types of history have been made. Number one, um, a speaker has been removed in the middle of a Congress. And number two, um, the minority party has picked up eight seats also in the middle of the Congress. I, I can't see any other way to view this. Can you? Eight Republicans joined 208 Democrats to remove the Republican speaker and put the entire Republican Party and the Republican conference in chaos and has completely interrupted some of the most important 
hearings and investigations going on in the Congress than we have ever seen. In the middle of an impeachment inquiry being directed by Republicans, in the middle of investigations from judiciary and oversight into the first family of crime, all of that gets put on hold now while they try to find a new speaker, and they won't even do that until a week from today. How else can I view Matt Gates and the other seven Republicans who sided with the Democrats to destroy the Republican conference? I don't know another way to see it. The Democrats just picked up eight new members. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> it's really difficult to view this in any other way. Now, I want to say a few things, and we've got a lot to say about this, and we've got a lot to listen to about this. Coming up in a half an hour, Congressman Jim Jordan, Chairman of the Judiciary, Chairman of the Weaponization Subcommittee, Member of Oversight, may surrender all of those things to become Speaker of the House. Now, I don't know if he wants that. They tried to get him to do that back in January when McCarthy took 15 votes to get the uh, votes. Jim Jordan got a lot of votes. A lot of people nominated him. He rejected that nomination, and they voted for him anyway. Point being, he is central to all of this. He voted yesterday with 210 Republicans to support McCarthy to remain as Speaker. We're going to talk to him at 935. Another member of Congress, Max Miller, will join us at 1110 this morning, so we're going to hear from him too. But I want to give you my thoughts as this whole thing gets started. So, Kevin McCarthy was not, in my estimation, a great speaker. Kevin McCarthy, I did not like the fact that he had to push forward with that continuing resolution that I came onto the air Monday complaining about. And I stand by those complaints. I don't like that CR going through. I didn't want to see the government shut down either, but we do need to take some drastic steps to stop this rampant, runaway, out-of-control Democrat spending machine. And continuing the resolution for 45 days, or with the continuing resolution, to continue the same spending levels for 45 days did not sit well with me. I was glad there was no no new Ukraine funding in that continuing resolution, but... I kind of believe that there's probably a promise on the other end, if not spoken, then unspoken, that we will continue to support Ukraine once we do get uh, the appropriations bills all figured out. They'll probably have a separate one for that. So I didn't like the CR. I get that. And I don't like a lot of the things Kevin McCarthy has done as Speaker. But the idea that Matt Gates can just throw his temper tantrum because he has a personal hatred an animosity for Kevin McCarthy that no one understands. It is personal. It is not political. It is not driven by what's best for the party, what's best for the conference, what's best for the country. It's personal with Matt Gates and Kevin McCarthy. And to allow him to have his temper tantrum and play stompy foot in the House of Representatives and then convince seven other Republicans to go along with him to get rid of Kevin McCarthy is going to be utterly, at the end of the day, pointless. Do you understand this? This is very important to understand. Nothing will change. You could put the most conservative member of of the Congress or outside of the Congress and make him or her Speaker of the House... And it's not going to make one lick of difference. Why? 
because of the razor slim majority that we have in that house and no majority in the Senate. What that means is the most conservative speaker in the history of the world could take over for Kevin McCarthy. And he could introduce the most conservative spending bills and the most conservative legislation that you can even imagine. And he's not going to get it passed through a razor-thin majority, many of which, many of the members who are not conservative. Republicans in the House who are not conservative. Who wouldn't vote for certain bills because, especially if they're in purplish districts and they worry about their own ass, they worry about losing their jobs, they're not going to vote for the most conservative legislation or spending bills. You understand that? And let's just say for one second, even if he did, this this miracle speaker with conservative principles, if he did emerge and try to push these things through and did get through the entire Republican Congress and uh, Republican House and pass things with that razor slim majority, then it just goes to the Senate to die because we don't have any majority there. Two weeks from now, which would be a week after a new speaker is chosen, they're supposed to do this next Wednesday, but then again, it may take a few days like it did in January. So let's say a month from now, with the new speaker on the job, two months from now with the new speaker on the job, six months from now with the new speaker on the job, nothing will have changed. And I want people to understand that, especially my conservative friends who are screaming that Jim Jordan is now a rhino, that the 99% of the Freedom Caucus, that's the most conservative caucus in the GOP House, voted to keep McCarthy. They're all suddenly rhinos. They don't know a damn thing, according to the radicals. And I'm talking about the real radicals. They think these people are all, that Matt Gates should be the new speaker. Matt Gates, Matt Gates threw a temper tantrum and let his personal animosity for and 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 hatred for the 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 now former speaker drive his decision making that put the entire party the entire congress into chaos and i will tell you this the democrats are going to make hay with this how could they not we would we would can you imagine a democrat member of congress moving to vacate the, the speakership with Nancy Pelosi in charge of it, to to get a few other turncoats to go against her, to oust her, and then have the, the, the House of Representatives literally be a ship without a rudder? Because a Congress, a House without a Speaker, is like a ship without a rudder. A rudder it has no direction. None. Can you imagine what we would do? We would be seizing on the Democrats' infighting. The Democrats were so motivated by their own thirst for power and their own agendas that they are willing to let the House of Representatives, the people's House of Representatives, go without a leader. We need to remove these people who cannot govern. We need to remove them from any semblance of power. We need veto-proof majorities in that House. Tell that radical out-of-control, infighting, civil war-fighting party that they're done. That's what we would be doing. I would be on the air telling you that right now. 
What do you think they're telling one another about the current GOP? This did not have to happen. This should not have happened. Kevin McCarthy is not perfect. I have criticized him. But no one, even a perfect speaker, can get anything close to what they want done with a slim majority in the House and no majority in the Senate. We will be in the same place a few months from now having these same conversations, no matter who it is. This was a disastrous outcome. And I know there are going to be other uh, Salem hosts who are going to disagree, and I know there's going to be conservatives all over the media and all over television and all over, all over online, you know, saying that this is what had to happen. Matt Gates is a hero. Matt Gates gave a master class and all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, what changes tomorrow? What changes in a week? What changes in a month, two months, three months, six months? Nothing will change. The only thing is we will be weaker as a party. And they will have a lot of ammunition to sell to undecided moderate voters about whom should be in charge of the Congress. Democrats have so much more ammunition because of this self-inflicted wound. And it may be a fatal wound, because we won't even be able to respond and say, no, because they're going to say the Republicans can't even govern themselves, much less the country. And we're going to say what? Well, uh, well, yeah, I guess. Republicans can't even decide on their own leadership. Well, but, well, yeah, I guess. Republicans can't even get their messaging straight. But uh, yeah, the mega extreme Republicans are running the uh, running the uh, the GOP House and driving reasonable Republicans out of their offices. Uh, uh. I mean, honestly, they have so much ammunition now with which to use to get moderate voters, undecided voters, centrist voters to decide to give the power to the Democrats. Here's a guy who knows a thing or two about being a speaker. Well, first thing, it's a very sad day because I think Kevin McCarthy is one of the most talented leaders I've ever worked with. I disagree with that part, by the way, but... I think that he accomplished an amazing amount for having a small majority and being having to take on both the Senate and the White House. That part is absolutely correct. No other uh, speaker could do any better. That doesn't mean Kevin McCarthy is great. It means he did as well as anybody could do having to take on a Republican, I mean, a Democrat Senate and the Democrat White House that always has veto power. And I think this is really a tragic outcome. Uh, this was a leader who both gained seats in 2020, gained seats in 2022, increased the number of women members, increased the number of veterans, increased the number of minority members, uh, and he had a vision for a better future. And let, let's be clear here, Sean. Uh, you know, if, if the University of Georgia Bulldogs were the number one team in the country right now, if you started a game and four of the members of the offensive squad decided they were actually on the Alabama side, and began tackling your own people, you probably get them off the field. Well, think about what we saw today. Four percent, four percent decided they were so morally superior, so intellectually pure, so patriotically better, that they would side with the Democrats, and that's what they did, in order to defeat the entire Republican House caucus. Ninety-six percent of the Republicans voted for McCarthy. 4% 4% voted against him. From my position as a longtime Republican activist, they're traitors. All eight of them should, in fact, be primaried. They should all be driven out of public life. 
What they did was to go to the other team to cause total chaos. That's a pretty good analogy. The football analogy he just used is apt. Stephen Miller was a senior advisor to President Donald Trump and one of his lead speechwriters. It's hard to find anybody more MAGA than Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller supports President Trump and all things conservative. Here's what he said. Well, what happened today is very simple. As you said, eight Republicans and all Democrats ejected the Speaker of the House. So look, Kevin's a friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. But whether you like Kevin, whether you hate Kevin, wherever you fall on Kevin, the reality is that the Republican Party cannot exist as a functional party if just eight members at any point in time can join with all Democrats to eject a speaker. If you want to be like the left, if you want to beat the left, if you want to dominate the left, if you want to save the country from the left, you have to learn from them. They operate as a unit. They operate as a team. They find their strength in unity, as a block, as a single block. Republicans, everyone acts like it's the model of the UN all the time. They're always debating with each other and caucusing and meeting here and meeting there. And they have this idea and that idea. And then someone will randomly jump into a room and scream, balance the budget for no reason at all. They need to focus. The focus needs to be on the two things that are destroying this country right now. And neither of those two things is Kevin McCarthy. It's a border invasion and weaponized government. Stephen Miller is spot on. And anybody who wants to look at that guy and call him a rhino because he supported keeping McCarthy in place, if for no other reason than, as he said, party unity, conference unity, cohesion, the appearance of the ability to govern. Anybody who calls that guy a rhino really needs to have their head examined. But that's what's going on here. And this is what the could-be, would-be, maybe future Speaker of the House said yesterday in support of Kevin McCarthy. January 3rd, we said the 118th Congress is about three things. Pass the bills that need passed, do the oversight work that needs to be done, and stop the inevitable omnibus that comes from the United States Senate right before the holidays. Kevin McCarthy has been rock solid on all three. We have passed the bills we told the American people we would pass. 87,000 IRS agents, that bill, that bill passed. Parents' Bill of Rights, that bill passed. Energy legislation passed. Border security, immigration enforcement legislation, the strongest bill ever to pass the Congress, passed earlier this year. We have done what we told them we were going to do. We can't help but the Senate won't take up those good common sense bills. They'll have to answer to the American people come election day. I think the Speaker has kept his word. I know my colleagues and friends are saying different. I think he has kept his word on those three things that we talked about on January 3rd, and frankly, that entire week. He has kept his word. I think we should keep him as Speaker. Speaker is the way that clip cuts off. All right, it's 926. We'll take our time out here. We're going to come back on the other side. Oh, the Pledge of Allegiance. Thank you very much, Seth Williams. Yes, patriots, go ahead. Let's stand and put our hand on our heart and pledge our allegiance to this great country, even if we, as we are watching its leadership fall apart at the moment. Uh, we must stand fast. Uh, join us for the pledge. If you are a supporter of the 208 Democrats and the eight Republicans who threw the House into chaos yesterday, then maybe you don't want to stand and pledge your allegiance. I don't know what your commitment to the country really is, but I'll leave that up to you. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic 
for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan joins me after the break on Always Right Radio. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, it's 934. We are awaiting our connection with uh, Congressman Jordan. Uh, We have a lot of questions for him, as you can imagine. Um, I just was told something off the air by Seth uh, that uh, during the Charlie Kirk show yesterday, after we got off the air, um, he was expressing opinions about the removal of Kevin McCarthy, similar to mine, and uh, Charlie Kirk started getting threats uh, on the uh, on his on his uh, uh, his program, uh, it's pretty unbelievable what people are saying. I'm told Congressman Jordan is on the line now, so let's bring in the current chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Weaponization Subcommittee, and member of the Oversight Committee. We don't know if he's going to remain in those positions going forward, but let's find out where we are. Congressman Jordan, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm fine, Bob. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. I've been better. Our country's in a bit of chaos right now. Our party is in chaos. Your conference is in chaos. So before we get into the vote yesterday, um, let's talk about the immediate future here. You were nominated to be speaker this past January, and you didn't want anything to do with it. You wanted to be in your positions that I just named right now because you felt like you could do the most good. But you were nominated anyway, even though you you didn't want Mm -hmm. it, and you got votes anyway. So will you accept such a nomination now to replace Speaker McCarthy? I think the key is the conference has got to get together and decide. Uh, it, this has got to be a conference decision on, on who's, who's best equipped to lead us, focus our agenda, um, get done for the American people what, what needs to be done. And we all know that's the crime issue, that's the border issue, that's, that's the, the oversight work that we have to do that I think we've been doing well. All those things have to happen, and we need a speaker who's going who's gonna to make sure those things continue. Uh, and they move in the direction that's beneficial for the country. So that's that's what we're looking at. We'll decide as a conference who that individual is, um, and we'll know. I think uh, here in, here in, in the next week. I respect that explanation, um, but I yeah. but I'm but I'm going to have to ask a follow up. Let's suppose the conference does get together and makes that decision as you just described, and comes together. Yeah. And hypothetically, they say the person we need to lead us now is Jim Jordan. Would you accept that leadership? I mean, again, yeah, if the conference, if the conference decides that's, that's, that's their decision. But, um, and that's how I think it has to be. When you have a, when you only control the House of Representatives in the legislative branch, the Democrats have control of the, of the White House and the Senate, um, and you got a four vote majority in the House, you got to have everyone on board with this is the person we want to lead us. And so it's got to be a, a, a kind of a bottom up conference decides who that individual is going to be. And we got to work through that in the next week. And then while we're doing that, we got to continue to do the oversight work that we've been doing to, to show how these agencies have been turned on the American people and continue to have success there. Um, that's, that's my focus. That's, uh, but I think that again, the conference, we got to figure all that out and decide who we're going to, who we're going to go with. All right. I, I think that's about as direct of an answer as I can expect at this point. And I did hear a yeah in, in the, in, in, as part of that. Yeah. If the conference decides that's the best way to go, you would be receptive to that. So, uh, that's an important note. Now, let's talk about this. You don't want this because you didn't want this to happen. You voted yesterday along with 96% yeah. of House Republicans to keep Speaker McCarthy in his place. Tell me why was Matt Gates and the other seven GOP reps who voted with the Democrats, why were they wrong to do this? Well, I think I, I, I said this. I thought it was unfair what what happened to Speaker McCarthy. I thought he had 
done exactly what he said he was going to do, what we needed to do. We had passed the bills we told the American people we were going to pass. The immigration enforcement legislation that our committee worked so hard on, the permanent bill of rights, the energy bill, the getting rid of 87,000 IRS agents. We passed all those things, and we told the American people we would. It's, it's unfortunate that Chuck Schumer won't bring those bills up and they won't consider them in the Senate, but they were good pieces of legislation. So we, we, he did what he said he was going to do there. He said we would do the oversight. He has been the best speaker in allowing the oversight that needed to happen, part of our constitutional duty to take place. Um, so I, I felt he kept his word on all those things, and he not not allowed a big omnibus spending bill, crazy spending bill come through. We're, in, we're still in the middle of that fight, and he's been fighting on that one. So um, I thought it was wrong what, what happened to him, but um, these individuals uh, felt that they, they, they needed to do that. Uh, I disagreed, disagreed strongly, and I spoke in favor of Kevin yesterday. Unfortunately, as you said, eight, uh, eight Republicans and all the Democrats decided to do something different. Congressman Jordan, um, yeah, I, I concur, and I, I made a statement um, before you came on. Um, I, what's going to change in a month? What's going to change in two months? I said uh, that you could have the most conservative speaker in the history of the country in charge right now, and it wouldn't matter. And the reason I say that is because of what you said. You have a very, very slim majority in the House. You need to get everybody yeah. on board, and not everybody shares the same conservative viewpoints. But even if you did, then you got the roadblock in the Senate, and even if you got through that, then you've got the White House. So nothing is going to change. The only thing that happened yesterday, as far as I see it, is that we have shown that we as a party and you as a, as a Republican conference can't govern, can't even get out of your own way, can't even stop civil wars from stopping such important work. Here's what I hope can change. I hope what happens is we can unite around the one pressing issue. The most important, there are all kinds of important issues. We've got to deal with inflation. We've got to deal with crime. All these things are out there. But the most pressing issue is the border. I mean, you've got Eric Adams, I think, now traveling to Central America as we speak. At least I saw something on the news this morning. So that is, the, that is the most important issue. We should focus on that. We've passed good legislation. We should be on TV every day saying, I said this, and I did a show earlier. I'm saying on your great show. Chuck Schumer, we sent you a good bill. Bring it up. Amend it. Change it. Do whatever you want to the bill, but then send it back to us. We'll go to a conference committee. We'll iron out the differences, and then we'll put something on the floor that hopefully will, could pass and help the country. That's how our system works. That's how the legislative body works. But they won't do anything. There's a bill over there. They won't do anything. That is one thing I think we have to focus on, and that's what the country cares about. And the country cares about it, whether the Republicans, Independents, or Democrats. They all know it's a, it's a big problem. That's what we have to do. And if we have to attach some of that language to an appropriation bill, we should do that as well. That's how you, you, I think, focus in on things and get them done one at a time, little steps if you have to, but you incrementally make the changes that improve the country. That's what we got to focus on as we move forward. Congressman Jordan, um, let's talk about party unity and let's talk about conservative um, majorities. Um, almost every member of the Freedom Caucus voted in favor of keeping Speaker McCarthy as you did. And now yep. all of you are being branded by other conservatives as rhino turncoats, uh, including legions yeah. of Trump supporters <laughs> online. Now you, you are a Trump supporter. Um, how yeah. do you answer to those in the MAGA crowd that have turned on you and the rest of the Freedom Caucus for your stance on McCarthy? I just, Bob, I just try to do the, what I think is the right thing. I try to, to focus in on, you know, doing what I told the voters that I was going to do. Um, I thought we were making progress. I know we're making progress on our oversight work. Washington yeah. Post did a story last week talking about how misinformation research, quote, misinformation research is buckling under GOP legal attack. This whole misinformation, disinformation industry out there is like we're going to, they're scaling back because we're exposing what they're doing. Um, 
So I just focus on doing what I think is right. I think I think uh, that's how members of the Freedom Caucus do do things as well. So um, if people are going to say I got someone saying something bad about me every single day, it's just part of the deal these uh, these days in American politics. No, I know that, but these are people who uh, back you normally. These are your base. These are you know the same people who support you, support President Trump. Are shocked that you and the other Freedom Caucus members turned and supported McCarthy. So I just again, it kind of speaks to the division in the party, which is a huge problem. Uh, to the work that you've been doing, what happens now? As I understand it, the vote for a new speaker will be one week from today. What happens mm-hmm. to your investigations and hearings and oversight and judiciary well, and so forth between they- now and then? No, good question. They can continue. In fact, we were doing a deposition or, or transcribed interview yesterday with a uh, U.S. attorney from, from the D.C., uh, from the, the D.C. United States attorney, uh, Matthew Graves. We had a, we had a deposition with him yesterday and, and got some very good information about how, how the interaction between him and David Weiss, uh, who was conducting the Hunter Biden investigation. So we're, I was in that deposition yesterday. I was asking questions along with our chief counsel. So, um, we'll, we'll keep doing our work. Uh, we got a number of these scheduled over the next few weeks. David Weiss is, himself scheduled to come in and, and for a deposition in um do you have a date week, on that one yet by the way I, we're all waiting to hear from uh, was, well we it was we, we thought it was going to be the 18th we now think it's going to be a week and a half later okay. but um we do have a date uh, it's not with me right off right off hand but i think it's the first week of november um so yeah we get, we're going to keep keep working on all that uh we have to that's again that's part of our duty and i think what i said this on january 3rd i said it yesterday the 118th congress is about those three issues Doing what we said we would do, passing the bills that need to be passed. The chief issue of all those is the border, and we still haven't got that done through the Senate. We've got it through the House, doing our oversight work, and then stopping, you know, fiscal discipline, stopping the crazy spending that we that we see as best we can when we control just just the House of Representatives. Speaker McCarthy started the impeachment inquiry. Does that change yep. now? What happens? Does it stop or does it continue? No, no. I'm looking, I mean, Mr. Comer has has, has issued uh, a number of subpoenas for bank records. Uh, we're continuing to do our, our interviews and depositions and, and get documents, uh, particularly from DOJ relative to the investigation, the Hunter Biden. Um, and, the, you know, of course, the Ways and Means Committee has had the whistleblowers come forward. They've released more of their uh, documents and testimony. Um, so we're, we, we just continue to do our work, which is, um, which is, I think, how it should proceed. Last question, Congressman, because I know you're short on time today. How will this affect your working relationship with Matt Gates? I guess you could say with all eight of them, but particularly Matt Gates, because this was his move. No, Matt, they're they're all these guys are. I just disagreed with them, but they're all friends. They're all talented members of Congress, and particularly Matt Gates is he's a talented member of our uh, of our committee. So uh, you know, we'll we'll continue to work with uh, with with all of them. That's 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 what we have to do. We have to realize any differences. I said this yesterday. Any differences that that exist with Republicans pale in comparison to the differences between us and the radical left, which now controls the Democrat Party. And we'd better understand that. We'd better stick together, or the radical left is going to continue to move our country in a direction that I think is, is, is not good. And so the sooner we can figure that, that fundamental fact out and stick together um, to, to do just good common sense things, uh, the better off the country is going to be. As uh, as this goes forward, I'm glad to hear you say that the investigations and oversight and judiciary will continue. Um, you know, with a new speaker, if you are that new speaker, how is a new chair chosen for each of those committees? Would you do that? Would you be the appointing appointing? Uh, there be there, there's a steering committee that would uh, that would you know look at look at all that. Um, obviously, this, the, the the new speaker would have a lot of input in how that how that's determined. Got it. Congressman Jordan, I thank you. By the way, it wasn't all bad yesterday. At least Jamal Bowman figured out how to get into the chamber without pulling a fire alarm. So that was that was yeah. one positive, right? Yeah. <laughs>
I guess so. I guess so. Bob, well, I thanks, j- but I, I joke run. about it now. I joke about it now, sir. But we need to talk about consequences for that next time we chat. Thank you, sir. All right. Take care. That's Jim Jordan. It's nine forty-five. We had to get him out by nine forty-five, so we did it. Uh, nine forty-five and forty seconds. But I'm going to count that as a W. Uh, all right. Um, I've got time for some responses now. Um, I've got another interview at 1010 with Dr. Robert Malone about the Nobel Prize going to the people that brought you myocarditis on steroids. Uh, so in between now and then, dial 216-901-0945, How do you feel about what happened yesterday? Do you support the removal of McCarthy, or do you think this was a giant mistake? In other words, do you side with Matt Gates or do you side with Jim Jordan? They're on opposite sides of this. You tell me next. 216-901-09. Okay, 951 now. Let's try to take a few reactions to what happened yesterday uh, and where we go from here. And I'm, I'm just I'm having a, a fun time here reading through Twitter and looking at people criticizing Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan may be the most conservative member of Congress that I've known and I don't mean known personally, which I do, but I mean just I've seen, um, they're calling him a rhino. Calling him a rhino sellout because he didn't back Matt Gates and his little stompy foot tantrum that is doing damage to the party, to the conference, and to the country. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. They're saying the same thing about me. At two, I was just asked, I just got a message from somebody who said, oh, you're on the wrong side, Bob, just like Hugh Hewitt. Translating you both, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and don't forget the pirates. Sayonara, Bob, have a great career. If you're going to stop listening to me for bringing reason and common sense and siding with Jim Jordan and the 99.9% of the Freedom Caucus members who thought this was a terrible idea, then fine. Uh, enjoy whatever else you, you, you come to listen to. But if you want reason, sense, sensibility, strategy, and conservatism, you're going to come back here, which they usually do. Uh, Ron in Middleburg Heights. Ron, go right ahead. You're on the air. Fire away. Hello, Bob. Hello, Ron. I uh, I just think that something needed to be done to stop the spending. I think the country will be destroyed if the out-of-control spending comes across. It's going to destroy the dollar. Am I on? Yes, you are. I'm listening to you. Continue. Can you hear me, Ron? I think we got a line problem here. Okay. Uh, Ron, if you're still there, speak in three, two, one. Okay. Uh, try back. Maybe we had a, a disconnect. Uh, BJ in North Olmstead is next. BJ, go ahead. I'm very concerned about what's going on with our political people in the House and, and the Senate, that they are battling each other and... We do know where Jim Jordan stands. He stands with the public, in my opinion, openly. But this could proceed into something. I'll tell you what, I'm I'm going to be blunt about it. This could end up in a shooting war in our country if these politicians don't stop this. That's how a revolution starts. If you angry the people a, a lot, you're going to see what's taking place. Look at the attacks that are going on in our country, unfortunately, by people of color, against white people and what's going on in New York and the rioting, the moving of people coming into our country. What is the motivation with the destruction of our country? And if a civil war breaks out, you're going to see a lot of Vietnam veterans and those that were in Iraq and Iran picking up weapons. So we're on the verge of a revolution like we had during the Civil War. And and we can't take that lightly. You young folks have to be very, very much aware 
the young people in America, the high school kids and college kids, they're very, very disturbed by this. They don't understand the behavior of the adults and the politicians. So we are in a very, very precarious and, and, and critical time. I will be at 93 this month. I've seen it all. I've seen the good times, the bad times, the warriors. I was involved during the Korean War. And and we're on the threshold of a you know what makes potential. this hey BJ you know what makes this different though um, and and more dangerous is in the actual civil war you knew what side you were on there you were north Correct. or you were south you were blue or you were gray and there was no Correct. ambiguity now you don't know in in this type of civil war based on what just happened yesterday whether you're going to get fragged by somebody on your side uh who, who, you who, don't who, know who that. tends to be on your side yeah because there's there's so many layers to this it's not just black and white or like i said blue and gray um and, and we don't know uh like i said you've got you've got conservative voters livid at conservative legislators for saying let's not rip apart our party in, in, as we control the the house of representatives because it's going to be to the advantage of the other side <laughs> so they're literally helping the democrats to help win majorities and to and to break the conservative stronghold that they have on the party it's 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 so backwards it's hard to even comprehend bj Bob, you just hatched the egg of confusion, and you're absolutely right. Talk to you later. Thanks, okay, for, DJ, my thanks call. for the call. Yeah, you know, you're right. We may come to a civil war, and I certainly hope it's not needed. We don't ever need to grab guns, as you said, and arm ourselves. Well, let me rephrase. I think everybody should arm themselves to the to, to the uh, 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 expectation that you may need to protect yourself at some point by way of the Second Amendment. But I hope nobody picks up arms with the intent of going to an actual shooting civil war. But in this civil war that is playing out politically and culturally, it's not one side against the other. There are too many people who are ambiguous on it and who are, you know, I'm mostly on this side, but if I have to, I'll turn on the people on my side. And that is a very dangerous kind of a, a civil conflict, if you will, to be in. Tanya is in Akron. Hi, Tanya. Go ahead. Tanya, are you there? Jim Jordan's side. Okay. okay. Tanya, but, I missed uh, the first part of what you said. Yeah, the, the line wasn't up, but I got I said, you. I'm on Jim Jordan's side. Okay, go I ahead. I think, you know, I may have not liked uh, Kevin McCarthy a whole lot of things, but I think he was going to, he can't do anything with the power that he has. Okay, we blew that. But I'm starting to wonder where the money is coming from from all of this, because we, we saw it in the, our, our Ohio House how we, our rhinos, voted with Democrats. We saw it in Texas with Paxton, this is becoming the modus operandi of the Democratic Party to split us up, and we keep playing into it. Because it doesn't take that many. It took 20 in Ohio. It's taken eight in the, in the Congress, and it took about 15 or 20 in, in Texas. They're trying to divide us, and we're too stupid to see that. Loyalty means something. Conviction means something. We can't get everything we want, but we're acting like petulant children, the, these young people that think they deserve power. Gates is a blowhard. He has some things right, but he's a blowhard, and he wants all the attention. He doesn't want to do any of the hard work of being a public servant. You know, and I'm just, I'm just frustrated with it. And well, they I, need to I be primaried. That. 
I share that frustration. And uh, Newt Gingrich said not only Gates, but all, all eight of them that sided with the Democrats oh, should be primaried. And, uh, and I think so, too. And by the way, and I'll say, and thank you, Tanya, for the call, because I believe in our system, and I believe in our government, and I believe in, in, in the people. I will say this. If they get primaried and they win at re-election anyway, because the district says, no, we like what they did here, so be it. Then we got to work with them. But I think there does need to be a primary challenge for every single one of them because I question their commitment to fixing the country. I think what they did was they stroked their own egos and they turned against what I think is a difficult situation. They made a, let me rephrase, they made a, a difficult situation, which is for any speaker to govern or to lead with a very razor thin majority on one side, a minority on the other side, and then an adversarial White House. They made a rough situation far worse. That's that's what I think. Uh, Charlie, I've only got 40 seconds for you, but you can have them. Charlie and Brownell, go ahead. Hey, Bob. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, I'm looking at the irony of it. Had Roe versus Wade not been overturned, we probably would have had a super majority, and we wouldn't have worried about five or so uh, congressmen. We would have had 30 or so, and this would have never happened. So it's irony. You know, we can't blame the Supreme Court. This is what we wanted, but this is the reaction that's a fair point charlie thank you my friend i appreciate you staying under the time there we do have to get out because after the top of the hour we have to shift gears the nobel prize was awarded to to, to the two individuals who brought you myocarditis on steroids and a whole lot of death and a whole lot of injuries the creators of the mrna vaccine we're going to talk with the pioneer of the science behind those dr robert malone he'll join us next you and i have a rendezvous with destiny We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Okay, eight minutes after 10 o'clock. Now we move into hour number two. Um, on this fourth morning of the 10th month, year of our Lord, 2023. If you did not hear it, it's a bit of breaking news. Um, you, you, you probably recall when they were trying to pick a speaker in January, they did not want Kevin McCarthy at the, at the start. As a matter of fact, nor the second or third or fourth, it took 15 votes in order for him to win um, the, uh, the gavel. And many people wanted Jim Jordan to be the speaker, and Jim Jordan refused it. He did not want the gavel. He said, don't vote for me, and he got votes anyway. He wanted to be in charge of judiciary and uh, and part of oversight because he wanted to do the investigative work that needed to be done. And uh, now that McCarthy is gone, I just had Jim Jordan on, and uh, exclusively I got him to say that, yes, he would accept the gavel this time if his conference, if the conference, uh, the Republican conference, chooses him and nominates him and uh, supports him, he would do it. So he'd be willing to give up his chairmanship of the Judiciary and Weaponization Subcommittee and uh, also his spot on the Oversight Committee to actually lead. It's a big deal. I heard him on Hannity last night. They tried to get an answer out of him. He would not He would not budge. This morning he said, yeah, if the conference decides, he would be accepting of that uh, of that honor and that opportunity. So it's a big deal. So we'll come back to that. But right now I want to pivot to another big deal. 
The Nobel Prize in Medicine has been awarded. We talked about this briefly, but I wanted to save most of what I had to say and what I want to ask for our upcoming guests. But the Nobel Assembly awarded the 2023 prize in physiology or medicine to the two scientists who they say made inroads to the development of the COVID vaccine. Caitlin Carrico, if I'm saying the names correctly, uh, if I'm not, I don't really care, and Drew Wiseman have worked on messenger RNA research for decades, the story goes, enabling vaccine production to occur in less than a year from the date at which work began. So, in other words, the two scientists who brought you myocarditis on steroids and palsy and strokes and blood clots and deaths and a whole lot of other things um, have been rewarded for doing so. The man who was uh, one of the pioneers of the RNA technology, whose name is, in fact, uh, on the patent for RNA technology, is Dr. Robert Malone. He did not get such an award. I wonder if he would take it if he was offered it. Dr. Robert Malone joins us now at AM 1420, The Answer, for some reaction to all of this. Dr. Malone, good to have you back here in Cleveland. How are you, sir? Good. I hope uh, the weather is good and life is treating you well. It is indeed, and I appreciate that. Uh, although it changes here at the drop of a hat. We had 80 yesterday. It's going to be like 50 today. It's crazy. Um, so, Dr. Malone, uh, let me start there. Uh, before I ask you about these doctors and about the, uh, about the Nobel Prize, or these researchers, rather, if your name had been included because you were one of the pioneers of the RNA research, which we talked about with you in the past and you've uh, made a lot of uh, revelations about, if your name had been included, would you want a Nobel Prize for what became the uh, COVID vaccinations? Well, you praised this well uh, because the prize was given for the COVID vaccinations, not for the platform technology and original discoveries. Mm-hmm. So they carefully kind of firewalled that or fenced that off. And it's just for the COVID-19 vaccine, which I have had no role in. So it's entirely appropriate that I'm not even mentioned because that's the scope of what they're awarding is for these mRNA vaccines uh, for SARS-CoV-2. I can understand why you would not want your name on these, but because of our conversations and many of the others that I've heard you have, but their work would not have been possible without your work, right? Your your work was the predicate for these things just because of your RNA technology, right? Yeah, uh, Katie Carrico and Drew Weissman didn't actually start working on this at all until about 15 years after I finished working on it, just to give the timeline, Mm -hmm. and the statement from the prize committee about this is a little misleading their first publication was in 2005 so um if you want to call that decades okay but uh not so much um you know the truth is i talked about this with my wife yesterday uh nobel prize is big bucks and it basically sets you up uh for big bucks for the rest of your life uh you know they're They've won the Nobel, the Lasker, um, and uh, analogous prizes from the Israeli government and from uh, the Spanish government, and they've they've collected millions and millions of dollars in prize awards. So, uh, could I use the money? Of course. So could you? Um, but I, it's all it's okay. The way they fence this off, I I actually am glad they the committee basically validated that Rico and Weissman did not come up with the technology or original proof of concept or anything else uh, by the way they awarded this. Um, so 
you know, I, you have to look for the silver lining and be a happy warrior and not get down in the dumps. Uh, and I've congratulated both of them in writing for uh, this award and their achievement. I think uh, coming across as uh, small and, um, you know, vindictive in other ways or, or you know, expressing uh, um, various feelings about about the award, it just, that that doesn't go anywhere good. It's just not. It's not my brand. No, I, and you know, I didn't expect it would be. Uh, I didn't expect you would want your name on it or anything of that nature. But it just kind of struck me as the fact that we're, you know, what the Nobel Committee has done here, Doctor Malone, is they have rewarded people for you know this this you know extraordinary development in short a short period of time. President Trump's Operation Warp Speed of this getting it done because of the research they had done before, et cetera, et cetera. As you say, kind of fencing it off is just the COVID vaccines. And in doing so, they're completely ignoring all of the evidence and all of the statistics of very significant and severe vaccine injury and death. Uh, the things that you that's talk true. about, the things that I've talked about. And, um, and, and I guess that's I don't know enough about the Nobel Prize Committee. Is it just about the scientific breakthrough, and therefore it's worth this, even if the outcome it, it, wasn't uh, it, necessarily it, positive? So this is this is a very unusual uh, award, okay. uh, as as was Obama's uh, Nobel Peace Prize. This is for medicine and physiology, not peace. Um, and uh, the uh, kind of fencing it off like this and not acknowledging those that actually did the original reduction of practice and had the ideas is extremely unusual. It's worth looking at the uh, press release and the statements the committee have made because they're full of basically, uh, let's say, misinformation. I call it propaganda. Um, here's their key statement. For their discoveries concerning nucleotide-based modifications, that enabled the development of effective mRNA vaccines against COVID-19. They don't define what's effective. And notice they don't include the word safe. We always hear safe and effective, but safe is not listed here. And as you correctly point out, what really enabled the rapid development was the bypassing of regulatory norms under Operation Warp Speed and Emergency Use Authorization. And, uh, you know, to that point, the Sputnik vaccine from Russia was actually developed on the same timeline because of the same thing. The Russians dropped a lot of the norms in clinical research and preclinical research in order to get it out the door. And that was a kind of a traditional vaccine. So, so the truth is that these pseudouridine modifications, which are not enabling because CureVac gets perfectly good immune responses with them, their mRNA vaccines, without using pseudouridine, um, had nothing to do with the timeline. And as you say, the vaccines are not effective. And to cut to the chase, Pfizer is a major donor of the Karolinska Institute. And the committee uh, that makes these decisions and the nomination process were revised last year. Uh, and um, and the Karolinska uh decided in this case to make this award uh, in without disclosing that the Karolinska has a major donor called Pfizer. So, uh, you know, it's, it's highly unusual. 
uh, a lot of the just really almost all the justification that's provided is, uh, let's say, not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and the, uh, there certainly is a strong appearance of conflict of interest. And given that so much of what is being asserted here is not true, you have to to raise the question. Uh, whether this really reflects the science or it reflects other things. A key statement in their press release from the the Nobel Prize Selection Committee was that, quote, the vaccines have saved millions of lives and prevented severe disease and many more. Actually, the data coming out now are not consistent with that. Uh, The all-cause mortality jumps after the vaccines are deployed. And data from all over the world now is demonstrating that these vaccines make people more likely to become infected or hospitalized. That's called negative effectiveness between three and seven months after they're administered. So, you know, this is the statements from the Nobel Committee are not scientifically valid. Uh, And then that raises the question, why did they do this? Yeah, that's a, that's a very, very important point, and it, that's exactly why those of us who were skeptical and apprehensive and remained so after the rollout were uh, were so, because the data cannot be known on long-term effectiveness and long-term side effects until the long term of time has passed, and it hadn't. And now here we are three years on, and you're finding some of these things out uh, that, that we were very much worried about. I want to share um, a, a couple of lines here. I don't know Dr. Malone. We're talking with Dr. Robert Malone. Um, I don't know if this was in the press release from the Nobel Committee or if this is just the National Review uh, talking about it, but I want to get your thoughts on it. Scientists believe the developments Carrico and Weissman's kickstarted have the potential to one day inoculate humans against diseases like cancer. In fact, in May 2023, a group of scientists building on this mRNA work reported a vaccine against pancreatic cancer in, uh, instigated an immune response in half of the patients treated, and those who showed such a response did not endure a relapse of their cancer over the course of the study. As again, one of the pioneers of the RNA technology, do you, are you aware of that kind of application? Um, this is the application that Moderna was founded to create, and they uh, repeatedly failed. Uh, I've, I've got 30 years under my belt plus of biotech and hype and nucos and all of this, and the cancer story keeps coming around and around and around, particularly cancer immunotherapy. And we all hope that it advances and succeeds. But the truth is that the history has been littered with these uh, press releases and promises and uh, new companies founded, etc., that fail again and again and again because they are not able to achieve uh, what they tell their investors they're going to achieve. So I'm I'm pretty wary about these uh, statements about curing cancer. Uh, of course, we've heard it from Mr. Biden, uh, and um, and history has not been kind to those that have been making these kinds of statements. But any you know we we don't know we can't predict what the future is. But to date, right, uh, the technology has not uh, supported that promise uh, very significantly. Uh, And the pancreatic cancer study that you're referring to is, you know, the key clause there is over that period. Right. Um, 
one of the things about the use of pseudouridine is that it's intentionally immunosuppressive. And uh, that may have something to do with some of the adverse effects associated with these mRNA vaccines. But immunosuppression in cancer is a very bad idea. But that's why it was done, was to suppress the immune response against the synthetic mRNA. Uh, that's the whole logic here. And uh, Rico and Weissman have four papers demonstrating that this happens. But uh, the biology of pseudouridine is still very much not understood, but it is absolutely uh, demonstrated by Carrico and Weissman that this modification they've introduced, which makes for a synthetic RNA, not a real RNA, natural RNA, um, is absolutely immunosuppressive. That's why they did it, and that's how it acts. Dr. Malone, last question for you. Um, according to the most recent survey, this one was done by Kaiser, the Kaiser Family Foundation, 52% of American adults say they will probably not or definitely not get the new COVID vaccine. Uh, 23% say they definitely will get the new booster that is available this month or actually just became available last month. Another 23% probably will. It's divided on political lines, as you can imagine. 70% of Democrats saying they're doing it. 24% of Republicans say they're going to do it. My question for you is, what is your read on this latest uh, vaccine or this latest booster of the, uh, you know, to, to deal with the subvariant that they say doctors cannot distinguish from the common cold? Right, and in that booster vaccine was actually purchased by the government in advance last uh, early summer, late spring, and it's designed against the, quote, Kraken variant. Remember that really scary one that had everybody dying in the streets and yeah. hospitals filling up, and no, none of that happened. Okay, and Kraken is gone. It's outcompeted uh, by ERIS, E-R-I-S, the currently circulating strain, which, as you point out, is a very benign version of Omicron. Uh, and so the government and uh, the industry and their academic supporters have done backflips to try to convince us that by doing a assay which has no predictive value for protection, that is neutralization using mouse serum of vaccinated mice, neutralization of viruses. They've never shown us the data, by the way. Uh, but they did admit, they did admit, right, the only thing, I think they tested 20 mice. They tested this new uh, vaccine. Correct. No human trials at all, none. Yeah, so uh, as Joe Latipo pointed out from the state of Florida, in which, in which he advised Floridians not to take the product, um, this is all highly unusual. And furthermore, the medical emergency is clearly expired as of, I think it's May 11th. Uh, by presidential command. Uh, so I've done the deep dive. I don't think the FDA had the authority to uh, issue emergency use authorization to this new product because we no longer have a medical emergency. And that's why I say the FDA has gone rogue. That and many other reasons. They just no longer seem to have the need to comply with the law with their own uh, guidance regulations, um, with congressional intent. They basically are, are lawless now. They will do whatever they deem uh, politically expedient to do. 
And the fact that government bought these and now they have to market them in some way, that's what's really going on here is the government cooperating with pharma and the likes of Scott Gottlieb, who's a member of the board of directors of Pfizer and also uh, an advisor to the CIA, um, are busy in a mass marketing campaign, just like we've seen before, to get Americans to accept a mismatched vaccine product, which, by the way, they're having problems manufacturing and supplying. Dr. Robert Malone knows this stuff inside and out. It's why we went back to him the moment we saw the uh, Nobel Prize being awarded for to the uh, to the uh, uh, researchers who gave us the COVID vaccine that gave so many other people some uh, less than desirable results. It's uh, it's extraordinary. Dr. Malone, thank you for coming on with us. Thank you for continuing to be the voice of sanity in all of this. We appreciate you very much, and we hope to talk soon. Thanks for having me on, and again, I hope it's a great day there in Cleveland. And to you as well. Thank you. There's Dr. Robert Malone. We'll take a time out now. It's 1026, Always Right Radio. We've got breaking news this morning. Jim Jordan confirmed on this program that he would accept the gavel if the conference committee, uh, the Republican conference uh, in the House, wants him to do so. It's a big deal. We'll talk more about that. We're going to talk to Jonas Schultz about that and also about his run for the State House. That's coming up, too. Stay here on Always Right Radio. I hope Bloomberg Radio. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1034 on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. I was just uh, spending a moment uh, letting everyone know on our social media accounts. I haven't gotten it to Truth Social yet or to Rumble. But it's on Twitter and on Facebook. Follow me on Facebook at Always Right Radio and on Twitter at France Rants, R-A-N-T-Z in both words. Congressman Jim Jordan um, has pivoted. Um, in January, he was nominated to be Speaker of the House. This was, of course, in the course of five days and 15 votes that it took for Kevin McCarthy to eventually become Speaker. Jim Jordan was nominated and rejected that nomination, stating very clearly in the chamber that he will not accept the uh, the gavel. Uh, people voted for him anyway. Some in the, in the uh, Republican uh, conference voted for him anyway. They wanted him to be the speaker. I thought he would be an amazing speaker, but I knew he didn't want it. He told me on this program directly that he could best serve uh, as the leader of investigative committees, such as Judiciary, and serving on oversight uh, in order to hold Democrats accountable and to hold you know, what we now know is the first family of crime accountable through the investigations and using the subpoena powers of the office. He did not want to be Speaker. He thought, he thought he'd be more effective as, um, as the chairman of those uh, committees or serving on those committees. But today, after what happened yesterday with Speaker McCarthy being ousted by Matt Gates and seven other uh, Republicans, now everybody's looking for the next Speaker. Uh, Sean Hannity had Jordan on last night and tried to get him to go one way or the other as to whether or not he would accept it this time. I watched that interview. He did not budge. Um, he budged on this program. Let's suppose the conference does get together and makes that decision as you just described and comes together, yeah. and hypothetically they say the person we need to lead us now is Jim Jordan. Would you accept that leadership? Um, again, yeah, if the conference, if the conference decides that's, that's that's their decision, but 
Um, and that's how I think it has to be. When you have a, when you only control the House of Representatives in the legislative branch, the Democrats have control of the, of the White House and the Senate, um, and you got a four vote majority in the House, you got to have everyone on board with this is the person we want to lead us. And so it's got to be a, a, a kind of a bottom up conference decides who that individual is going to be. And we got to work through that in the next week. And then while we're doing that, we got to continue to do the oversight work that we've been doing to, to show how these agencies have been turned on the American people and continue to have success there. Um, that's, that's my focus. That's, uh, but I think that again, the conference, we got to figure all that out and decide who we're going to, who we're going to go with. First time, the conference. First, sorry, it's on loop there. Uh, the first time I asked him, he did the same thing he did to Hannity and saying, well, that's not up to me. That's up to the conference. They have to decide who they want. And uh, I, the, the, the backup there was, if they decide what they want, will you accept it? And you heard it there through a little bit of hedging, but then, yeah, I mean, if that's what the conference decides. So he will be willing to give up his uh, chairmanship of those very important committees, the uh, Judiciary and the Weaponization Committee, and his spot on the... Uh, oversight committee as well to take the gavel and lead the party and lead the people's house if that's what the conference decides so it's a big deal we'll get reaction from everybody this morning including you and including this guy you know the name jonah schultz you will know his voice because you've heard him on this program before he has run for congress and now he's got another office in his sights and uh let's welcome jonah schultz back to our program on am 1420 the answer jonah good morning morning bob thanks for having me on yeah, good to have you. A little drama in D.C. yesterday that we're still trying to sort out this morning. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, the circus never seems to stop, does it? <laughs> whether it's in Washington, D.C., whether it's in Columbus. Um, but, you know, when you have an opportunity like this, hopefully we can get a great conservative speaker in there that can, um, you know, actually get some of our, our policy preferences done. Uh, I'd love to see it happen. Uh, and, and I think uh, we have that opportunity now. So I'll be watching closely. Yeah, I did not like what they did yesterday, and in fact, neither did Jim Jordan. He voted to keep McCarthy as Speaker, but now that it has happened, it's a matter of what's the best way to move forward, and the idea that Jim Jordan could be that guy is a very, very uh, exciting prospect. Although, again, like I said earlier, this is the point, um, and, and you, you'll find this out perhaps if you end up in the Ohio State House, which we'll talk about in a second, with a super slim majority in the in the uh, in the House and a a minority in the Senate and an adversarial White House. There's very little any super conservative speaker can get done legislatively or via budget and spending issues. It's just going to be very very hard because the numbers aren't there. But. Uh, we'll put that aside for now, and let's talk about the State House. Jonah, you ran against Max Miller. By the way, Max Miller, your former opponent and now congressman from District 7, he's going to be joining us with reaction to all of this in about a half an hour. But you have uh, you have uh, moved and shifted your sights. I knew you wouldn't be done as a candidate um, uh, with that race, uh, and now you are ready to go for the State House. Tell us what you're running for and tell us why. Absolutely. So I'm very excited today to announce my candidacy for state representative in Ohio's 17th district, which is comprised of Broadview Heights, North Royalton, Strongsville, Berea, and Olmstead Falls. You know, Ohio has every ability to become a national leader economically, academically, and culturally as well. Um, we don't have to just look to states like Florida and Tennessee who are leading the way. We're a Republican state. We have a Republican supermajority here, and I think it's time we started acting like it. You know, Joe Biden and, and the radical Democrat policies are, are absolutely destroying the lives, the prosperity, and, and the liberty of everyday Americans, everyday Ohioans. And, and that's why it's even more crucial 
to make Ohio a fortress for liberty. It's, it's time to elect leaders who are beholden only to our people, our Constitution, and, and our God. I'm very excited to be jumping into this race with endorsements from people like Representative Jennifer Gross, you know, medical freedom champion, author of House Bill 248, uh, State Representative Gary Click, a great Christian conservative who's author of House Bill 68, which would ban transgender surgeries, uh, these grotesque procedures on minors here in the state of Ohio. Uh, and I'm going to be running full go. I'm going to hit the ground running. Uh, we're going to win this race. And ultimately, we need to take Columbus back for the people. We need to make sure whether it's the federal level, the state level, or the local level, we're sending people who are truly going to be beholden to us, to the people who make this country run day in and day out. Jonah Schultz is our guest. He is announcing this morning that he is indeed running for state representative in the 17th district, newly created. You just uh, listed the uh, uh, the district, Broadview Heights, North Royalton, uh, Strongsville, Berea, Olmstead Falls. That's a strong district, by the way. That's, uh, that's a lot of really good people in those communities. Um, have you established any allies, any contacts already in the state house to kind of get a feel for what you're walking into? Yeah, I've been having, you know, tons of conversations with, with state reps, uh, some freshman state reps, some uh, veteran state reps who have been there a long time, um, and they've been really, uh, you know, articulating the chaos to me of what's going on there, um, this this General Assembly. Like I said, Jennifer Gross and Gary Click are already coming out with endorsements for me, and, and we'll have more to roll out in the coming weeks and months. Um, but like I said, we have a supermajority in the state house. Um, and we decided, uh, Republicans, some Republicans decided that we're going to cut deals with the Democrats. That's not acceptable. Um, if the shoe were on the other foot, could you imagine a Democrat supermajority cutting any deals to give the Republican Party any power in a state like New York or California? It would never happen in a million years. So we need to take the opportunity to use the power, the authority that the people gave us through this supermajority, the people that voted overwhelmingly for Republicans in this state, and get done what they want to see. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. You know, we need to work towards things like eliminating Ohio's income tax and cap tax. We need to work towards things like banning critical race theory and gender theory in our schools and protecting children, empowering parents, and creating a culture that values liberty, virtue, and truth. Like I said, we have every opportunity to do that. We just haven't had the political will. Yeah, political will is a big deal. Um, And, you know, not every... um uh, legislative body is is like all of the others. The, the the problems that we had, of course, at the start of this uh, you know this this new state assembly session, um, you know, was the was that infighting in the Republican Party, and now we're seeing infighting at the general at the uh, at the federal level, obviously, with what happened yesterday, and uh, some members of the Republican conference splitting off and siding with the Democrats. Not terribly dissimilar from what happened um, uh, with uh, you know that ended up getting Jason Stevens the gavel in. Uh, uh, in Columbus. So um, what would your priorities be, Jonah, your top priorities? I mentioned the, the names, or excuse me, the uh, cities, and so did you. Um, what specific uh, things would you like the people of those communities know about your intent when you get there? Absolutely. Well, I, I'd first like to tell people to go to JonahForOhio.com where they can read more about me, read more about my priorities. But you know, really the way I look at it is, is economics, academics and and the culture here in the state of Ohio. And I mentioned a few of these already. I think my first priority on the economic side is to abolish our state income tax. You look at every state, Texas, Tennessee, Florida, that's already followed this approach, booming economy, taking the pressure off of the middle class that's feeling it through this crazy inflation right now, 
uh, and, and really ensuring that we are empowering individuals to have that control over their tax dollars and over their income. Eliminating things like the cat tax that just punishes businesses here in the state of Ohio for, for simply wanting to do business here. We shouldn't be having to hand out special deals to huge corporations just to come here. We should be creating an environment that naturally leads, naturally attracts companies to come to our state and create high-wage jobs. You know, on the academic side, we need to continue to defend universal school choice, empower parents, defend children, like I said, from CRT and this radical gender theory, but actually implement curriculums that, that focus on reading, writing, math, life skills, and true American history, not this phony stuff that, that's been permeating throughout our school districts here in Ohio and across the country. And then within our culture, obviously defending the sanctity of life, um, promoting traditional American principles and, and these Judeo-Christian values that have made America great. And, and this means banning men from participating in women's sports and using women's changing facilities. This means promoting marriage and two-parent homes and banning things like these sexual, obscene, uh, drag queen story hours and things of that nature that are taking place in public in front of children, uh, ensuring that we're creating this society that defends children, that, that, that defends virtue, and ultimately upholds truth. So in other words, you're willing to take on the culture war. Um, and, and, and tell me, just in your civilian life, Jonah, have you, have you uh, engaged in any activities or any activism regarding that? Uh, we're all you know, following a lot of school board races. I talk to a lot of school board candidates who are trying to go in and you know, bring some sanity back uh, to, to the classrooms and some of the reasons that you just described uh, with the trans movement and other things. So are you doing any of that now as an activist, and uh, are you ready and willing to be called every phobe and ist and bigot and everything else that you can if you take that approach? Well, yeah, of course. There's no name in the book that they won't throw at you, but you just have to ignore <laughs> it because those words mean nothing to them, um, and they should mean nothing to us. And so, uh, yeah, very recently we put on our town hall against child mutilation where I organized an event with uh, several hundred individuals coming out to support uh, vocally, financially, um, the House Bill 68, which, again, would ban these transgender surgeries uh, on minors, would ban the puberty blockers that really uh, disrupt the, the innocence, the, the, the development, and set children on a path to, to death, to suicide, um, to osteoporosis, to cancer, to all of these different things that we know are a danger to them through these procedures. Uh, and so I've been active for a very long time on these issues. I'll be working with school board members. One of my endorsements out of the gate, Jeremiah Sawyer, who is the founder of the Ohio School Board Constitutional Coalition that is working across the state to get individuals elected to local school boards um, that will be defending, like I said, the innocence of children and allowing them to have a normal education that they deserve here in in ohio and across the country so i'll be working hand in hand with those local leaders to help get them elected and to promote those traditional american values like i said jonah schultz is running for columbus he wants to be state representative in the new newly created 17th district including broadview heights north Royalton, strongsville Bree, and olmstead falls uh the campaign website again jonah it's jonah ohio.com the number four or the word for the word for Got it. Just want to make sure a lot of people do the, uh, you know, the uh, the number to make it uh, easier or make it stand out a little bit more. So, Jonah, uh, I appreciate you coming on very much. Uh, I wish you the very best of luck. Do you, uh, I, you know, maybe I missed that, but do do we know how many people have filed to run for that spot, or uh, do you know what your competition well, looks the, like? 
yeah, I, I'm the first to announce in this race, and okay. you know, regardless of who jumps in, I don't know of, of any names yet, but we'll be running full speed ahead, and uh, we'll be knocking doors, we'll be pounding pavement, and we'll be working our butts off. Good. I'm glad I didn't miss anything. You're the first one to declare, so that's good. So hopefully that'll get you a good head start with the voters. Jonas Schultz, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Keep us up to date, if you would, and I'll encourage everybody to visit that website and support your campaign. Thank you, Jonah. Thanks so much, Bob. You got it. 1049, we'll take a time out here. We'll have time to get a couple of phone calls in before we talk to Congressman Max Miller. Max Miller voted, along with Jim Jordan and 200 uh, other Republicans, to support, not support, but to keep Kevin McCarthy in place. It did not work because eight Republicans sided with all the Democrats. That's a problem. I'm going to talk to uh, Max Miller about that and about the spending issues and the path forward. Also about Ukraine funding and more. All of that's coming up. Uh, your calls directly, though, on AM. So Kevin McCarthy lost the gavel. The question is, is will Jim Jordan pick it up and use it? Um, it's quite a it's quite a battle we have on our hands here. We've got Republicans committing violations of Reagan's 11th commandment. Republicans should not condemn and criticize Republicans. They are doing more than that. Some of the strongest, most extreme people on the right are turning on other people on the right. The Conservative Freedom Caucus, 99% of them voted to keep McCarthy in place. Jim Jordan, the co-founder of the Freedom Caucus, voted to keep McCarthy in place. And they're being called rhinos now because Kevin McCarthy isn't strong enough. Uh, I wonder how quickly they'll turn and support Jim Jordan if indeed he is nominated to be the Speaker of the House. And it looks like there's a very good chance that that will happen. But this is quite uh, an amazing development. Um, Newt Gingrich says that Matt Gates and uh, the others who voted... Uh, 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 to oust Kevin McCarthy, who sided with the Democrats, that they should be primary. They're traitors who should be run out of the party and out of public service altogether. Uh, and he had a vision for a better future. And let, let's be clear here, Sean. Uh, you know, if, if the University of Georgia Bulldogs were the number one team in the country right now, if you started a game and four of the members of the offensive squad decided they were actually on the Alabama side and began tackling your own people, you probably get them off the field. Well, think about what we saw today. Four percent, four percent decided they were so morally superior, so intellectually pure, so patriotically better, that they would side with the Democrats, and that's what they did, in order to defeat the entire Republican House caucus. Ninety-six percent of the Republicans voted for McCarthy. Four percent voted against him. From my position as a longtime Republican activist, they're traitors. All eight of them should, in fact, be primaried. They should all be driven out of public life. What they did was to go to the other team to cause total chaos. Joanne in Twinsburg, your reaction on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead. Good morning, Bob. You know, I like Matt Gates, and I like some of the things he stands for. This Same whole here. thing, what bothers me is they've had nine months to get these 12 bills passed. They took six weeks off in August. They're taking all these long weekends. Yesterday on Newsmax, Bob, I heard one, somebody say, 
well, we're not going to be able to get to who the new speaker is going to be because it's getting towards the end of the week and everyone wants to go home. It's Tuesday, for crying out loud. <laughs> I don't get it. That's These people true. don't understand what a five-day work week is, and I don't understand how people don't see that Matt Gates was mad at Kevin McCarthy for putting this 45-day CR together and using Democrats, and then he used them all. I mean, and nobody's talking about that. I mean, Matt Gates worked took every went with every Democrat. As far as I'm concerned, this whole thing is ridiculous. These people need to work. They need to get their jobs done and do what they need to do for us. You know, I mean, he's over there with you know, Miss as Curtis Sliwa says. You know, you call her ADC. He calls her all out crazy, and he's right. You know, I mean, but he's over there working with all these Democrats, and he's peyote McCarthy for doing the same thing. Well, he's not just peyote McCarthy. Yeah, he's not just peyote McCarthy for for that. He hates McCarthy. Well, yeah. He hated him. He's the right, reason why it took fifteen. Right. Yeah, he generated all of the opposition to his speakership excuse, in January. Bob. Oh, he worked with the Democrats, and he did this, and yeah. he did that, and and he and then he turns around and does the same darn thing. Yeah, I'm that's exactly right. No, you know, and, you're right. And it makes me sick. I mean, I'm tired of these people not doing their job. Get to work. Everybody else works 40 hours a week. Everybody else knows what a deadline means. It's time. Joanne, I could not agree with you more. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Yeah, the only thing I would clarify, like I said, it's not just that he was ticked at McCarthy for for working with the Democrats or essentially. And by the way. It was 391 to, what, 80 or whatever it was um, on the House side. And it was like there were only nine senators who voted against that CR. It was overwhelmingly Republicans and Democrats coming together on that CR. So you can't just be mad at McCarthy for it, because look at everybody else, or nearly everybody else did the same thing. Now, I opposed the CR. I praised J.D. Vance for opposing it, for voting against it. I praised Jim Jordan for voting against it. I didn't want the CR to go through either. And you could say, well, McCarthy's the one to put it up for a vote. Yeah, he did. But what was he supposed to do? If he sits there and lets the government go um, unfunded, if, if, if that's what happens and lets the whole thing get shut down and, you know, Border Patrol people aren't being paid and our servicemen and women aren't being paid in the whole nine yards, it's all going to be put at his feet anyway. And here's something else not enough people talked about. Prior to that CR... There was another bill that McCarthy had worked very hard to negotiate, which included 8% spending cuts. Okay? Very, very, uh, a much better bill. I won't say a very, very good bill. A much better uh, spending bill, temporary spending bill. And it was rejected by Gates and his cronies. Even though it was conservative in nature, because they had their minds made up and Gates had their mind made up, or his mind made up, that they hated McCarthy and he hated McCarthy so much he was going to make a move to get rid of him no matter what. He negotiated that when they agreed to let McCarthy become Speaker in January, that one member, all it takes is one member of Congress to make a motion to vacate and they have to have the hearing and the vote. And sure enough, Gates took advantage of it. To me, Gates did the wrong thing here. I like him and a lot of things he stands for, too, but not in this. This does not help Republicans. It does not help the Congress. It does not help America. Max Miller's a part of that Congress. He's going to join me next right here on Always Right Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. 
If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, eight minutes after 11 o'clock on this Wednesday. It is the fourth morning of the 10th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Breaking news this morning, after yesterday's ouster of Speaker Kevin McCarthy, a lot of eyes turned to Jim Jordan. Even though Jim Jordan voted against um, removing Kevin McCarthy as Speaker, many want to draft him to be the next Speaker. They tried to do that in January when uh, Kevin McCarthy needed 15 votes to actually win the gavel and had to accept some extraordinary terms, such as just one member, one member of Congress making a motion to vacate uh, would lead to a vote. And that's exactly what happened yesterday with Matt Gates. Jim Jordan opposed that, and he opposed in January anybody who nominated him to be Speaker. He wanted to serve as chairman of the judiciary, wanted to serve on oversight, wanted to lead investigations rather than hold the gavel. Well, this time, they're coming at him again and saying, Jim Jordan, Jim Jordan, Jim Jordan. This morning, I asked him. He said, hey, that's up to the conference. They have to decide what they want to do. I followed up with this. Let's suppose the conference does get together and makes that decision as you just described and comes together, and hypothetically they say the person we need to lead us now is Jim Jordan. Would you accept that leadership? Um, Again, yeah, if the conference conference decides, that's their decision, but... Yeah, if the conference decides. So that's a confirmation. I'm taking that as a confirmation that he will accept the nomination, he will solicit and seek votes, and does want to be Speaker of the House of Representatives. It's a huge story. It's a big deal. And joining us now with more reaction to what happened on Capitol Hill yesterday is freshman Congressman Max Miller, Ohio 7. Congressman, good to have you back. How are you, sir? Hey, Bob. Uh, I'm doing okay. Good news, and I like you hearing about the potential of a Speaker Jordan uh, as we go through that. But i got to tell you, Bob, uh, and excuse my French, I'm pissed off uh, at what just happened yesterday and would love to go over every aspect of it so our constituents in the 7th in the state of Ohio can see how eight members of our party teamed up with over 200 Democrats to overthrow a Republican Speaker while more than 95% of our conference, including Jim Jordan, Uh, and everyone in the delegation in Ohio standing behind Speaker McCarthy. This is no more than a personal vendetta, and I would love to dive into all of this with you this morning. Well, I'm glad to hear that because I want to ask you all of those things. You know, you use the word vendetta. I agree with that. It is very, very clear that there's something personal that Kevin McCarthy um, raises in in Matt Gates. I don't know what it is, but it boils over. Matt Gates was his uh, most staunch critic in in January. Uh, he has trashed him at every turn, and he obviously seized on the opportunity here uh, to remove him as speaker. I don't know what it is. It cannot just be disagreement on one policy or another one spending bill or another, the continuing resolution. It cannot be to hear the vitriol that comes from him. So what do you suppose 
if you know it all, is the reason for this personal animosity and this vendetta that Gates had for McCarthy. What I think it is, and I, and I want to make this very clear to everyone who's listening, Bob, this goes back a number of years that when Mr. Gates came into Congress, had his own personal issues with Mr. McCarthy out of California, and people on the Hill up here, that goes back several years. I actually think this is personal when it comes to Mr. Gates' ethics complaint that he has residing in the House of Representatives that he wants to go away. And there's been a lot of rumors and rumblings around the Hill, and I think that this is personal. And I want to further add something else. Bob, you know, Matt gets up there and he talks about Ukraine funding. I want to make something extremely clear to everyone who's listening. That 30-day CR that we just voted on tied to H.R. 2, that 21 Republicans sunk, would have secured our southern border, would have been sitting in the Senate right now, and we finally would have the Democrats where we want them. But you know what happened? 21 Republicans sided with Democrats to shoot it down a 30-day stopgap measure that would have secured our southern border. And do you know who led that charge, Bob? It was Matt Gates. And do you want to know where we are right now? This individual continues to talk about Ukraine funding. Let's talk about Ukraine funding. I've been here up on the Hill. I haven't seen Ukraine funding in the 30-day CR that was put up, and I didn't see Ukraine funding in the 45-day CR that was put up. And we beat the Senate to that measure so Ukraine funding wouldn't be added. So there are accomplishments that we're doing in the House. But because of Mr. Gates's actions, we were pushed to a 45-day clean CR. And guess what he did just now? He introduces a motion to vacate, eating up the 45 days we have left to do our jobs in the appropriation process so the American people can see how we're spending their taxpayer dollars. And we're going to end up with too many buses because of Matt Gates. That is exactly what is going to happen because he is eating up time because he is running for the governor of Florida and does not care about anybody but himself. And that is why you saw 98% of the Republican conference stand behind Speaker McCarthy. It's time to govern. It's not time to play games. And what he is doing, it really is a travesty to the Republican Party, and it will hurt all of us for the majority, for the Senate, and for the presidency because of his actions. Yeah, I tend to agree with just about everything you said. I was very aware of the ethics complaints and the... um... Uh, the suggestions made by many that he was livid that McCarthy didn't do more to end those investigations. Um, but the question is, is there's seven others. There were eight Republicans. And as you say, it's a very small number. It's 4%. 96% voted to support, or at least to keep, even if they don't support everything McCarthy has done, they voted to keep him in as Speaker. But there were eight total Republicans who sided with the Democrats. What do you think their motivations were outside of Gates's personal ones? So I know Gates has personal vendetta, and I know that we can talk about some of our other colleagues when it comes to, say, Eli Crane out of Arizona or Andy Biggs out of Arizona. Those individuals, when they first came in here, and let's rewind the clock back to January, they were always a hard no on Kevin. Those two individuals were not going to change. I know both of them very well, and they're great colleagues. They're good people, right? But they made a commitment to their constituents that said they would never vote for Kevin McCarthy. So as soon as they said that to their constituents, they come to Congress and they fulfill their promise, as we all try to do when we run and try to get here to be a legislator. So those two individuals aren't going to change their minds. I just think at the end of the day, we've come to an impasse to where we've led the smallest part of our party upend government to not do work for the American people. Right now, Bob, we can't work on the southern border. We can't work on the appropriations process. We can't work on supply chain issues or on how to keep this country running because Matt Gates effectively shut down Congress without a plan. There was no plan, you know? And the, and the, the last thing I'll say, because I know I'm going on, and I, and I want to dive into this deeper, 
I love President Donald John Trump for two reasons. One, because of his policies, and two, because of his vision, and three, sorry, three, because he's a disruptor. But he always had a vision, and he always had a game plan in place. What you saw from Matt Gates yesterday wasn't a plan. It wasn't a vision. That's not MAGA. Conservatism isn't upending the entire government because you have a personal vendetta with a speaker. Um, you know, conservatism is a secure southern border. Matt Gates likes to be close to Donald Trump because that's the closest to power that he will ever get, and he's abusing it just like the Democrats do. He's no better than they are. Remember, he's one of eight Republicans that just voted with the entire minority of the Democrat Party. That's the light that he needs to be cast and painted in, and people need to see what he's doing up here. Um, and we don't have an answer right now. We don't have a person who can get to 218. And I'm still in, up here in Washington, D.C., trying to sort that out. So, Congressman Max Miller, where are we as a party? Not just in D.C. and not just in the, uh, in the House. Where are we as a, as a party and a conservative movement in the country? And the reason I ask is because you, Jim Jordan, uh, everybody else that voted to keep Kevin McCarthy in as speaker, you're now a rhino in the eyes of so many conservatives, including massive numbers of Trump supporters. You are one of President Trump's strongest supporters. You worked with him. You worked for him and with him for six years. Um, and, and, and very few people in Congress are as supportive of him as you, but yet his supporters are calling you a rhino. Charlie Kirk, what? one of the most conservative voices in America today, was uh, also supporting keeping Kevin McCarthy in yesterday on his program, and I'm told he received threats he read some of them on the air uh because how dare he do such things um we have hold on congressman miller i'm told we actually have that real quick go ahead seth yeah this one right here charlie i hope you have good security considering the the stances you're taking i'd hate to see you in the streets like now they're just getting the threats it's really amazing that's that's a remarkable thing. So where are we when we're turning on each other, conservatives turning on other conservatives, um, all because of, in my view, I think what you said is true, a vendetta by Matt Gates, and he decided to, to, to throw a temper tantrum and play stompy foot and get rid of the guy that he hated, no matter what it does to the party or the country. But, you know, Bob, this is where I get confused. So as you had just said, I'd been with President Trump for the last, you know, six years of my career before we entered in, in, into Congress and to be honored in this capacity I talked to President Trump three times yesterday and can, and can provide the call records. I promise you, I talk, and this isn't uh, you know, a, a measuring contest here, but I understand that Matt makes it seem as if he's, got, he's best friends with President Trump. I worked with that guy every single day for six years, and what I can tell you when I talked to him three times yesterday on the phone, do you know what he told me? He said, continue to support McCarthy. That's what he told me on the phone. And every time Mr. Gates gets asked about his conversations with President Trump, he always paints them in broad strokes, and he does it on purpose because it allows the media to give him what he wants. And that's to paint a scary narrative to show that he's willing to upend the Republican Party. What I can tell you from talking to President Trump again three times yesterday throughout this process is that he isn't in love with Speaker McCarthy, but he knew that Speaker McCarthy was the only one that collectively could continue to move this body forward. And now here we are. So I have a lot of questions, and there's a lot of misinformation that Mr. Gates continues to put out on a daily basis. And the last thing, too, going back, you know, Bob, if McCarthy made a secret deal with the Democrats or President Biden on Ukraine, then how come not a single one of them voted to keep him as speaker yesterday? If there was some deal that was made, how come the Democrats didn't have Speaker McCarthy's back? Because Speaker McCarthy never made a deal, Bob. Matt is continuing to lie to the American people because this is all about him. And I want to make that abundantly clear. 
Yeah, I think you have, and I concur <clears throat> with everything that you just described and everything that the evidence kind of shows us by way of observation. So being that he does not have a plan moving forward, he didn't have a person in mind to replace him, he doesn't want it himself, and I think that's very, very dangerous. Um, where do we go now? Now that the damage has been done, now that the speakership has been vacated, I mentioned Jim Jordan, and by the way, I just saw came across my screen, Jim Jordan has officially announced now, in addition to what he said to me on the air, <clears throat> that he is a, a candidate for House Speaker. Um who do you like? What do you want to see happen here? Steve Scalise is already making maneuvers last night, I'm told. A lot of people like Steve Scalise. You know, Jim Jordan, as conservative as can be, founded the Freedom Caucus, but will he be able to bring moderates to his side in this particular uh, fight for the speakership? Do you have any idea where you want to see this go? You know, I, I, I'm, I will answer your question directly. I'm just in a bit of whiplash from being in conference last night and hearing the speaker say he wasn't going to run and no one saw that coming because we went through 15 rounds prior and we thought we were going to see more fight. Um, where do I see this going? I see that, as you just said, Jordan throws his name in the ring. We see Scalise. Uh, look, I- I'm a big fan of Jim. If Jim's going to throw his hat in the ring, then you know I'm going to lean uh, in that direction. But at this point, we've got to let this settle out just a bit here. Uh, and see how the field is going to go ahead and rise. I mean, we've got a lot of things we've got to go over. And I can tell you one thing, that you know, a lot of us who are principled do have some ass, and we want the conference rules changed. And so I need to have further conversations with everyone running for speaker to see how we can effectively run this conference to actually do work for the American people, and so we don't have a disruptor and someone disturbed like Gates upending Congress so we can't get work done for the American people. So I'm taking a little bit of a different tact on this time of where we are in Congress, I've been here for about 10 months. We've gotten our feet wet a little bit. We're going to have some ass uh, and see how this place is going to be run in regular and proper order. And I believe out of the candidates that you mentioned, Jim would do the very best job out of every single one. Um, and I've yet to talk to him today, uh, but I believe if he's making the rounds, I look forward to that phone call. When you said you would uh, be interested in having the rules changed, which can you give me an example of a rule or two that you're talking about? Absolutely. So, I fundamentally believe that the motion to vacate needs to go back up to a majority of a majority. Matt Gates was the only individual pushing for this rule to bring the motion to vacate down to one so he would vote for McCarthy, knowing, knowing that he would introduce this at some point in the 118th Congress. We all knew that that was a part of his plan. The Speaker shouldn't have gave it up. He did. That's on him. That's why we are where we are today. But that needs to go back up to a proper majority because, like you said and like I said, only eight people from the Republican conference ousted a Republican speaker while 96% of us stood behind it. Ronald Reagan always said, if you're my friend 85% of my time, you're my best friend or something along those lines. Getting 96% of the Republican conference behind you and still getting ousted, I'm pretty sure you win almost every election possible, except in this place, the magic number is 218. So it, it, it's a tragedy. But I believe that there is a way ahead. There is a way forward. But I just wish we were going to stay in Congress this week to elect a speaker. I don't want to go home. I want to continue to work. We just passed a 45-day CR. We need to be electing a speaker now. We shouldn't be wasting any more darn time. And we need to move on with regular order and get this place back where it needs to be so we can keep the majority, win the Senate, and get Trump back in office in 24. That's uh, <clears throat> that's quite an agenda. We're talking with Congressman Max Miller, Ohio 7, with the uh, reaction to yesterday's news that Kevin McCarthy is out, and we're looking for a new speaker now. Uh, Steve Scalise is a guy that, of course, has already been in leadership, and a lot of people feel like he might be 
the the guy to consolidate around because he does appeal to moderates, but he also appeals in certain ways to the more conservative uh, uh, part of the conference. Um, any thoughts on Steve Scalise? Would you be would you be accepting of him if um, if that's the uh, the choice of the majority? If that's the choice of the majority, yes. Uh, I mean, look, I would accept Steve if that was the will of the conference. I think he would also do a phenomenal job, but. I mean, popular or unpopular, I would like to see a shakeup of all of leadership. Um, and I know that's probably going to get me in a little bit of trouble when you and I get off this phone and I walk through the halls of Congress. Um, but I would like to see everyone in leadership go away. And I think we need fresh faces across the board. I really do. We need to turn this conference. We need to look in a new direction. We tried it with the ones that we have in place. It didn't work out. I believe we need to seek out other people within the Republican conference, new fresh faces, they're going to be able to take our America First agenda and continue to ram it down the Democrats' throats and take no prisoners from the, from the Biden administration. Because make no mistake, the biggest ally the, the Biden administration has right now in the Democrats is Matt Gates and the Gang A. So we need to get those guys in check and then run the Republican majority that 96 of us, percent of us support and to continue to operate in that, in that manner and, and do the responsible thing, Bob, and that's called governing. And that's hard to do sometimes. But that's why people like me run for this job and want the responsibility. This uh, last question might sound critical. It's not intended to be, but I try to anticipate responses to statements when the statements are still being made. And I can already tell the response that you're going to get from some people is, wait a second, you voted to keep McCarthy yesterday. Today you're saying get rid of all leadership. He was leadership. He was the leader. Now you want fresh faces. Which side are you really on here? That's what they're going to say. What are you going to say to that? Oh, absolutely, and I'm happy to answer that. Look, Kevin did do a great job. I'm not backing away from my statements about how Speaker McCarthy has operated this conference. We've got more conservative wins here, and I know a lot of us don't want to talk about it, but we accomplished more in 10 months and passed more conservative legislation out of the House than the first two years of the Trump presidency. And so we've been doing a very effective job on that. It's not our fault Chuck Schumer doesn't want to do his job and take up 70% of the appropriations process and discretionary spending and actually put it on the Senate floor to do his damn job. That's the problem. Uh, I mean, but right now with where we are, I mean, yeah, look, it didn't work out with Kevin. We need new faces. I don't think that, you know, propping leadership up one by one like the Democrats do is the way that we run things in the Republican Party. We, we pick people based off of mental acuity and how well can you do the damn job. That's what I care about. And you know what? Right now, from what I see, Leadership didn't do its damn job. We didn't coalesce around it. We were unsuccessful. We let Matt Gates and a small group of eight push us out. And I believe we do need new fresh faces. So I don't believe I'm contradicting myself. I just believe we're in newfound territory of where we need a new direction on how to look forward to repair the damage that Mr. Gates has done to the conference. Yeah, I worry about the damage that can be done to the entire party, um, you know, in, in the upcoming elections and in 2024, because it makes this. I'll tell you what, we just handed the Democrats so much ammunition to say, how can they lead the country? They can't even lead their own party. For the first time in American history, the sitting speaker in the middle of a Congress has been ousted. Now they're fighting amongst themselves. They can't agree on anything. This is going to take moderates who are just undecided as to whether or not they want to support Republicans or Democrats for leadership of this government and push them over to the Democrat side because they will make hay with all of this. Well, and Bob, can I, can I just say one more thing to jump in somewhat yeah. off on a tangent here? Sure. So, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but there's something that can happen in the House of Representatives called a unity speaker or a coalition government. And right now, the Democrats are a lot closer to actually achieving their goal, thanks, thanks to the gang of aid, 
and achieving a coalition government. That would mean that if we did have a coalition government, that every impeachment inquiry on ways and means oversight judiciary would go away. The main impeachment inquiry on President Biden would go away. And then you would see more spending come out of the House of Representatives by technically the Republicans in majority with a shared speaker than ever before in our country's history. No one's even talking about that, about the position that Mr. Gates put us in to temporarily have a coalition government. And the worst part about it is that President Biden, when he runs for reelection, can actually get away with saying that he unified the American people and unified Congress because that's what he ran on in his last election. But the sad thing is he can actually say he did that because of one of our own guys gave him that gift. That's the heartbreaking thing here. It's just so upsetting. Congressman Max Miller, I appreciate you being so uh, honest and forthright about your opinions on this uh, and transparent about your intentions going forward as well. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. I hope to talk to you again real soon. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate you. Thank you. That's Max Miller with his reaction to yesterday's uh, ouster of Kevin McCarthy. Uh, I want yours. I've got one more segment to go. We'll squeeze in a few phone calls if you make them now at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Which side of this are you on? We'll be right back. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on The Answer. All right. 1134. What a day, what a day, what a day. <clears throat> Goodness gracious. Jim Jordan has made it official after uh, confirming to me that he would accept the speakership if it were offered to him this time around. Unlike what he did in January when he refused it, even though he was being nominated and getting votes on multiple votes. Um, we have headlines now. Jim Jordan announces bid for House Speaker after McCarthy ouster. House Judiciary, House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan announced he is running for Speaker. Uh, said Wednesday morning he would step up to run for the job. House Republicans plan to hold a candidate forum next Tuesday and an election the following day. He'll likely have the support of conservatives and others in the right wing of the GOP conference, but it's unclear if he can win the support of moderates. Interesting. Um, Fox News is not citing their source for his quote-unquote announcement. I don't know if it's this one. I was just told that Steve Bannon on War Room cited this show as uh, the announcement of Jim Jordan's acceptance of the speakership if it were to be offered to him. But regardless of where you hear it first, the fact that he is saying it is important. It's also important to understand where people are coming from. This situation has created some just absolutely astonishingly idiotic statements from some people who typically and generally are not astonishingly idiotic. I'm reading Twitter in between the the radio segments, and I'm looking at people calling me a member of the Uniparty and being in bed with the Democrats' platform because I supported keeping McCarthy as speaker for now. And I'm looking at these people, and I'm saying, are you saying that Jim Jordan, the Freedom Caucus, Ted Cruz on the Senate side, people like uh, Trump loyalists like Max Miller, Stephen Miller, you're saying these people are all uniparty members who are in bed with the Democrats? The people in bed with the Democrats are the people who voted with the Democrats. 
the eight individuals who voted with the Democrats would typically seem to have the Democrats' best interests at heart here. Those of us who want to support the party, those of us who want to support moving forward in winning future elections, didn't do this. We're the way. It's, it's incredible. Jim Jordan might be the most conservative candidate for speaker that's ever come down the line. And he's being called a rhino and a unipartier because he what? Sided with President Trump, who also supported Kevin McCarthy remaining in place? What's wrong with these people? What's wrong with our party? What's wrong with our movement? Tracy, Strongsville. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away. Hey, good morning, Bob. You know, yesterday I was, when this hat was all going down, I, I was, yes, I, I really was. And I thought, but I, I can't wait to wake up in the morning and hear what Bob says. And everything just turned upside down. I'm, I'm still not convinced that I'm on board either way uh, where I was yesterday. What's bothered me about, you kind of changed my mind with your, you know, the guests that you've had. But what's bothered me about McCarthy is he shows up. He wears a Ukraine flag on his lapel. He has been championing more and more and more money for Ukraine. And that has really not set well with me at all. And additionally, I, I guess yesterday I didn't see the problem with, with this because I do think that you should not vote always go with your, you know, everybody should be on board like the Democrats. I know that's a winning recipe, but I don't think it's winning for the people. I think it's winning for a party. And I think there's a difference because there's some crazy stuff on the left that moderate Democrats are going along with just because they're Democrats. And half that stuff would not go through if they actually just stood on their convictions and didn't vote party line. We have the same thing happening in the Republican Party, but at least... We have some people, like it or not, who have the courage and the integrity to, to stand on their own convictions and say, no, I'm not going just party line on things that I don't agree with, that my people who I represent do not agree with. And that's where I get conflicted on this whole thing with what's happening. I don't want to hurt our party, but I think that when we just keep voting party line because that's what we do versus representing your constituents in your area, that's a problem. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. That's called groupthink, and it's something that we condemn, generally speaking, uh, and it's something the Democrats live by, and uh, and they do. They will surrender their own personal principles and the beliefs of their constituents in order to go along with the party line, and they're very good at it, and it's been successful for them because they've won a lot of things that they shouldn't win. As for the specifics of the McCarthy case, I agree with you with being conflicted because just Monday I was ripping McCarthy and all of the other Republicans who joined in voting for that continuing resolution because it was ridiculous. It was stupid. It was, it was, mm-hmm. uh, it, the only thing it did, you know, I think positively is it cut out the, uh, you know, the four and a half billion more that they were going to send to Ukraine that particular time, but that doesn't mean we're done sending money, money to Ukraine. So I was, I was criticizing McCarthy and praising Jordan and Vance and others who voted against that continuing resolution. However, I think the, the way I solved my confusion in this, Tracy, is, as I said at the beginning of the program, and I've said repeatedly since then, and that is, let's look at what the alternative is. If we get a more conservative uh, speaker, let, just for the sake of conversation, just for our chat, if Donald Trump, whose old name has also been thrown around, would you consider yeah, being speaker of the House? I know. But just, just because everybody loves Trump, conservatism, blah, blah, blah. 
If Donald Trump is the speaker, does that change the majority? It doesn't. We still have a very slim five-seat majority. If Donald Trump is speaker, does that make us have the majority in the Senate? Nope. It's still controlled by the Democrats. If Donald Trump is the speaker, does that change the adversarial relationship of the White House who would veto anything that was conservative in nature to come out of the House or to get through the Senate? No. There's nobody who's going to be a speaker who's going to be able to change the world with these conditions. A slim majority in the House, no majority in the Senate, and, and a White House that opposes you. So... Even if Trump himself were to be that guy, it isn't going to change things. So why would we upset our party and create this civil war to do something that's going to have very minimal impact on the way legislating is done? Yeah, I can't really answer that, but I do know that I think there is some appeal to people that see our party isn't, like you said, just groupthink. I think that is appealing to a lot of middle America that feel like that's what both parties have just essentially done. And what they're doing is, I mean, not our party as much as the left, but you start going more extreme in directions that all of a sudden are not representing the actual people's mindset. So I do think it's a little bit maybe positive, I guess. I don't know if I'm yeah. if that's accurate, but I do think it is in a way that you can look at these representatives and say, you know what? They're willing to stand up against their own party. For it, that's just a positive thing, in my opinion. We don't want to look. No, like I, I, I get it, Tracy. And Tracy, I, I appreciate every point you've made. I think the Democrats do more of this. And I and I and I and I appreciate that very much. Thank you for the call, Tracy. I do want to get Derek in before we're done today, so I'm going to go to Derek in Richfield. Derek, go ahead. You're on the air. Thank you, Bob. Hey, see, we we knew it, Bob. Joe Blystone, the hat was right. All you rhinos out there. Um, no, I, this, is, this is ridiculous. No, this this is absolute craziness. Um, I don't see. I think this is a big mistake. I don't see what good this is going to accomplish. Um, even, uh, yeah, it seems kind of seems kind of odd. Uh, what do you, seven or eight Republicans and all the other Democrats that voted this way? That that's kind of strange. Even Mark Levin himself, I guess he must be uh, some, you know, some uh, some rhino. All another rhino. Yep, member right, of the but, Uniparty, Mark Levin. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I don't understand, Kevin uh, Speaker McCarthy. But he, he's not ultra man. What could you know? You know, he can only do so much for one thing. I don't see what was so wrong about this. Yeah, there's something that I, this isn't helping anything. I, I disagree with with. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.